symptoms. Last week on PM, we heard about some of the strains in GP surgeries. It wasn't an original journalistic thought. It's been quite a theme in newspapers and elsewhere, this. After last week's item, the overwhelming feeling in our inbox was that people do want face-to-face meetings with their doctor. Phone appointments or reconsult, not quite the same. This is typical of some of the emails we received. Over the past years, appointments have become increasingly difficult to access. We can't even see a doctor unless someone, often a receptionist, deems it necessary. As patients, we are now asked to submit photos rather than present in person. Not always easy for older groups, not to mention varying picture quality. Nothing can replace the face-to-face appointment adequately. It's just so important to pick up things other than the patient's current concern. And this from Tim Robinson. I'm a GP doctor in training in Yorkshire and I agree we should get back to -to face-to-face appointments at all costs, even if that means more crowded waiting rooms. I don't particularly want to spend the next 30 years of my career working as a telephone operator. I miss the personal touch and I think patients do too. In fairness, some can see a place for online services. This is from Pamela Meadows who describes herself as an older person. My practice has introduced an online form to request a non-urgent appointment. The GP responds by phone, email, video, text or asks you to come in. You can specify the time for callback and it's much more efficient for the GP to know what the problem is before the consultation. Some things are better face-to-face, but not everything. We should focus on whether e-consults are used inappropriately, not on assuming face-to-face offers the best standard of care. Insisting on face-to-face clogs up clinical time with simple problems. Well, those are some of our listener views. Is there any way of clearing GP time for the face-to-face encounters with those that need them? Obviously, we can train and pay for more GPs. But here's another idea. We use pharmacists to take some of the strains. Boots is currently trialling, is running a trial to look at how they can scale up the use of pharmacist-independent prescribers, PIPs, who are qualified to prescribe certain medicines. Ellen Jones is Director for Wales at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. And Ellen, um, tell us what the position is of the pharmacist-independent prescribers. What can they do? How much work can they take off a doctor? Well, good evening. Um, And yes, pharmacist independent prescribing has been around for many years now, but um, their accessibility in the community pharmacy is starting to increase. So it's great to see the model that um, Boots is is undertaking. We have got um, different models in community pharmacies throughout um, Great Britain. And actually in Wales and in Scotland, there um, have been uh, pilots and ongoing services is uh, provided through community mm. pharmacies what, what for can quite they, a while. What can they do? They, they wouldn't be giving me stitches if I went in with a you know, bad cut, presumably, but they might give me a repeat prescription without me having to go to the GP? Yes, so um, many will focus on things like uh, common conditions and uh, will be able to um, have a consultation with the patient. And if a prescription is deemed necessary and um, a medicine is needed, then they will be able to give that whole uh, patient care and actually provide a prescription for the individual as well. Are pharmacists up for this? Have they got spare time? A lot of them are presumably quite busy already. They can hardly start uh, consult consultations on a massive scale. They are extremely busy. And I think, you know, during the pandemic, community pharmacies have remained um, open uh, to the public to ensure that that vital um, information on medicines and services are there. But we are very keen as a profession 
to be maximizing our clinical capability mm. and knowledge. And that's really what independent prescribing enables pharmacists to do, is to work more at the top of their license, where they are having greater clinical input in, into yeah. a patient's care. Yeah. I am presuming, w- w- would I pay the pharmacy for that service? Uh, they obviously got to be paid, or would the, would the NHS pay them out of what would currently go to a GP? Because some might say, hang on a minute, if I have to go and pay the pharmacist at the, at the pharmacy to get a routine prescription, then that's really just starting to charge me for NHS, what the NHS currently gives for free. Now, this depends on what is commissioned locally, and um, ah. th- this, can, this can be difficult and something that um, we uh, at the Royal Pharmaceutical Society believe should be uh, free at the point of patient access. And we would like to see more commissioned services utilising the skills of independent prescribing mm. to ensure that it is free at the point of care to patients. Um, there, there are uh, lots of different models out there. And as I say, in, in Wales and in Scotland, there are more um, uh, availability for free access through commissioned services in community pharmacy right. until we get to that point throughout the whole of Great Britain. I think um, some of these paid services offers that access um, and okay. utilises the skills. But obviously, we would be pushing for free at the point of, of, of right. care for patients. Ellen Jones from the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Thank you for that. Now, it's 14 minutes to 